The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Hick! And the iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. And my, oh my, so much to discuss this week on the program. If you're joining us live, thank you very much. We'll be looking to you for guidance throughout the show so as these rounds go on if you're leaning a certain way if one person's takes were more fiery than the other let us know in the chat but ufc 257 is in the books the ufc's first trip to fight island of 2021 is in the books so much to get to we're not going to waste any more time whatsoever so let us introduce the combatants first he comes in as the challenger this this week he lost a pretty tight one on the last show, but he gets the immediate rematch from MMAfighting.com, the multi-time champion, the only man with double-digit wins in Between the Links history, Mr. Jed Mishu. Welcome back, my friend. It's good to be back. You know, it's been so long since last we spoke, Mike. It, it feels like a lifetime. Um, I'm glad to have finally, you know, I'm, I'm coming in with the, with the challenger mantle again. It's good. I need that. I need that inspiration. I don't want to be a Conor McGregor. You know, those silk sheets just got to me from being on top too much. And so now I'm back. And this time you're going to see the real me. All right. As we introduce the brand new reigning BTL champion, making his first title defense, the deputy editor for MMAfighting.com, looking to make it two for two against Jed Mishu. That rhymed totally by accident. But he is Steven Morocco. Hello, champ. How are you? Since Jed did the finger guns, I'm going to do the... Who has two thumbs and one last week? That's me <laughs> over here, Stephen Morocco. Anyways, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm into this, uh, ready to put Jed behind me and uh, move on with my life uh, to a better one, hopefully. Oh my God. 
I mean, it hurts, but it's probably true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let us get right into this, gentlemen. On Saturday night, the UFC put on their first pay-per-view event of 2021. It was UFC 257. It was a huge event. Some got to watch the whole thing. Others, like Stephen Morocco, did not get to watch the whole thing. But in the end, <laughs> Dustin Poirier walks into Etihad Arena, a man looking to avenge a loss from over six years ago, and he walks out as the only man to put away Conor McGregor via strikes. Puts the former champ champ away in the second round. What a performance from the Diamond. So, Jed Mishu, we're going to begin with you. Most people believed that if this fight ends early, it's a Conor McGregor win if it goes deep. This is Dustin Poirier's fight to lose. It did not end up that way at all. So before we get into what all this means, how did you react to Poirier's big win on Saturday and how he was able to pull it off? I mean, I'm a professional, so I stood up out of my chair and screamed hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, look, I, I picked Poirier to win. We're going to get into that a little bit more. And and a guy who two weeks ago was like, oh, Dustin Poirier gets hit too much. Somebody was very wrong there, and I got the receipts on that. But I thought Poirier was going to win. I didn't think he was going to win like that. I mean, there's always the opportunity that he could have kind of taken over as the fight grew on and Connor got a little more tired. Uh, but, I mean, I just didn't think he was going to knock Connor out in the second round, and, and certainly not as emphatically as he did. I mean, you know, that say what you want about, oh, well, Connor got tired. He Connor got slept. Like, he was out, out from – from that follow-up shot on the ground. And that's the first time we've ever seen that happen. Connor's always had a really good chin. So I, I, it was awesome. Uh, There is literally not a person in this sport who deserves a win that big more. And probably not a person in this sport who deserves a loss that big more. Uh, I mean, it was, it was great. The whole trip to fight Island, we had Max Holloway, Michael Kaysen, and Dustin Poirier all win. They're like three of the good dudes in this sport, and they won. I don't know what 2020 is about or 2021 is about, but it's great so far. <laughs> wow. First air horn already, and we're not even through the, the beginning of the first question. But what about you, Stephen? Because Dustin Poirier, great game plan. I thought the takedown right off the bat was massive. It set up a lot of things in the second round. Of course, the light kicks added up before he knocks Connor out and gets the biggest win of his career. What did you make of Dustin's performance? Kind of a star-making showing on Saturday night. Well, I had a restrained reaction because I'm also a professional. It didn't uh, lose my <laughs> lose my control as Jed is apt to do. Um, but um, my first thought was, wow, you know, obviously that I didn't see that coming. I usually, as a, as a matter of course, like if there's no huge age disparity, I tend to pick the guy who won last time is the one to, to win in the rematch because that's often how it goes in my experience. But um, the, the the next thought I had after that was, well, it's kind of not all downhill from here for Connor, but it's like a rocky road trending downwards. Um, you know, first knockout victory is never a, a good first stat in this sport. And, you know, given that he's at the top, he's a huge name. He makes a lot of money. The matchups and the potential problems only magnify as he keeps going. So um, it was kind of uh, another, I mean, the mystique, uh, you know, of him being undefeated wasn't really, um, it was, it had already been broken long before he met Dustin the second time, but to get beaten in the way that he did, um, it shows that a lot of these things, I mean, for me, it was like he got nailed by Khabib uh, in the fight and with an overhand. And he's been hurt before, obviously, by Floyd. 
Um, these things typically don't trend the, the opposite way. Dustin is a huge exception to that rule, obviously, because he has been around forever. He's been in a lot of wars and he was able to rebound in a way that was just spectacular. But I also think, as I've said before, that he had a lot more fluid in his brain. He did take a hard left hand from Connor in that first round. He took that full to the face. And I'm not saying it's the only reason, but it certainly was, a, 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 I think, a huge contributing factor, the fact that he had you know, more weight, more fluid in his brain, more ability to take that shot, and then come back with the ones that uh, that ultimately ended the fight. He's a great boxer, and he put those skills to use. So coming out of this event, event there's really been two narratives. One was, this is a brilliant game plan from Dustin Poirier, Mike Brown, and the coaching staff at ATT. The improvement showed it a big way, and Dustin did the damn thing. The other, which I've seen a lot, is, Connor was rusty. He didn't show up. He wasn't himself. The layoff affected him. Ring rust is real and so forth and so on. So I'm curious, Stephen, coming out of this fight, in your mind, what was more impactful in the aftermath? Poirier in a win, performing the way that he did, that he did or is the bigger story McGregor losing and getting stopped? Well, I'm just talking from a perspective of like the the impact on our website, the impact on web traffic, uh, you know, this story that came out from Nielsen Sports uh, yesterday or the day before. Um, the impact of Conor McGregor losing was far bigger than Dustin's win. And if you look at all the metrics that were put out in the wake of that event, it clearly a much bigger deal that, that, that Conor lost than Dustin won. And that's because, you know, as the as it was said, Connor has kind of transcended the sport. Whether you whether he loses or whether he wins, you want to see him fight. Now, is he as big of a star as before? You know, it, will the knockout loss affect his long term viability? Of course, but in a sense, it doesn't matter. Like he's he's going to be a big star as long as he you know has the four ounce gloves on. So I think clearly, um, Dustin Poirier being a good guy. I mean, it kind of reminds me of uh, Evander Holyfield a little bit. I was. I'm saying this because of recency bias and I just watched the documentary between him and Mike Tyson, but Evander Holyfield, great fighter, you know, climbed the mountain uh, a, a number of times, uh, terrible interview, good guy, and always kind of struggled, you know, to get that sort of critical mass. We like in, a, in combat sports. Uh, we like Nate Diaz, the, the Nate Diaz's of the world and the Conor McGregor's of the world. And if you're anything short of that, um, it's not going to be as easy for you to uh, to shape the narrative. That's that's interesting. So so Jed, kind of building on that point, we saw what happened with Nate Diaz gets the big rub from beating Connor, even in the loss at UFC 202 a few months later, still became an even bigger star coming out of that fight, and the star just continued to grow from there, whether he fights or not. So in terms of star power, potential drawing ability, so forth and so on, do you feel like? Corey has or will get the same kind of rub after this performance, or does he still have some more work to do on that end based on what Steven just said? I mean, he's going to get a little bit of a bump because more eyeballs saw him than ever before. But uh, to me, this has always been a really clear thing uh, that I think everybody implicitly knows, but we like trick ourselves into forgetting and you can't make stars. Like people have it or they don't. And, it is a really difficult thing to quantify or, or kind of state. But I mean, if you look at Connor's fights, it 
he got Habib and Nate Diaz got big bumps there, and they beat Connor certainly, but they also just they were their own entity before they had their own gravity. Nate Diaz was a, a cult kind of hero, and then he got launched into the stratosphere because he beat a, a huge name, and everybody else got to see that and kind of internalize that cult hero status and fall in love with it as well. Similar with Habib, I mean. Dustin Poirier is just not going to get that kind of a kick. Dustin Poirier is a phenomenal person. He is doing great things with his platform, and he will get a bit of a boost here because of this. Uh, but I, I don't think we're going to look back and say, oh, this is the night that Dustin Poirier became a star. It, it's just not, not – it's not really fair. It's unfortunate that life kind of works like that. But I also think that it that touches back on what we started talking about was – was this more of a Poirier win or, or a McGregor loss? And I think from an X's and O's standpoint, you can make an argument either side of it. But like Stephen was saying, the fallout is, is very clearly this is a McGregor loss. I mean, the way I always judge stuff like this is the the casual fan or the people who don't care about fighting texting me asking. That's always like, oh, yeah, that's going to be a big fight card if somebody asked me about it. And I got a ton of questions in the last few days. So Connor's done, right? Like, is he just going to keep getting the paycheck or is is uh, he – but he he's out. And, you know, they don't understand who Dustin Poirier is, and I can explain to them that, well, realistically, as much as we want to bag on Connor, I know the feeling it's great, his – two losses in the last little bit here have been to the two best lightweights of this era, which I think we can definitively say Dustin Poirier is at this point. Uh, I know Tony Ferguson fans are going to come out of the woodwork, but I think, I think Poirier would have beaten Tony any of these last few years. And I think watching his last couple performance kind of is proof positive of that. So, I mean, from one stance, you know, Connor lost to the two best guys in the division, but really this is the least explainable of his losses. I wrote about it right after the fight. You know, the Habib loss, he lost to the GOAT. You can kind of write that one off. And Nate was on such short notice that you can also write that off. He avenged it again. But with this one, this is a guy he already knocked out. He knocked him out in 90 seconds, and now he gets bolted by him. Like, it's really not explainable. And at least to the masses, it it certainly looks like, oh, this guy's just done. And, and I think as a result of that, that diminishes even whatever pop Poirier might have gotten is diminished further by the fact that, this just the appearances, whether they're true or not, certainly are that McGregor's losing it, not Poirier is that dude. All right. So last thing on this, because there has been a popular topic. We're gonna get into like the shaping of this division in the next round, but a lot of people believe, Jed, we'll start with you, that Dustin Poirier, right this second, if not right this second, before he fights next, the UFC should just give him the title. He should be the lightweight champion. Shouldn't have to fight again to be the champion. Do you agree with that? Should Dustin just be awarded the title, or do you think he needs one more win? No. You shouldn't give anybody the title. The only time anybody ever should have been given the title, they should have given – then they did. They gave Jose Aldo uh, the featherweight title because he was the WEC featherweight champion when they folded that division in, which, by the way, Aldo, youngest champion in Zufa history. We never talk about it. It's not John Jones. I don't care what you say. It's Jose Aldo. But uh, that's the only time you should kind of give somebody a title like that. You got to make them fight for it. I think – that everybody is now just retroactively wishing the UFC hadn't wishing Dana White had pulled his head out of his ass, really, because everybody knew it was coming. Nobody in their right mind thought Habib was actually fighting again, regardless of how impressive anybody was. So, like, that should have just been for the belt or for the interim belt. And then, okay, it's an interim title. There was really no good reason that it wasn't for an interim title, frankly. 
uh, you just make it for an interim title and then you can make him the champion because I agree. He is the best lightweight on earth that is not named Habib Nurmagomedov and Habib is not going to fight again, which de facto should make him the title holder in the UFC. But giving him the title after he wins feels real scummy. So he's going to have to fight somebody to get it. And knock on wood, because I, I wrote about this after the fight too, like I hope that he gets it. I hope that the next fight, nothing bad like happens and he is karmically denied his right to hold the undisputed title because the man friggin' deserves it. And the only reason he doesn't have it is because Dana couldn't pull his head out of his ass. What do you think, Steven? Should, should they just give Dustin the belt? Maybe gives him a little bit of a rub too. Maybe more of a rub. He's the champion already. A lot of people already feel this way. And people say, well, there's no precedent in just handing a title like this, you know, for a guy who wins a non-title main event. Dustin didn't make weight, so forth and so on. Like championship weight, he was 156. But you can't create precedence without doing something first. So should they have just given Poirier the belt? Since when has UFC honored precedent? Let's Let's be frank here. <laughs> Um, I, I think, uh, sure you could give it to him, you know, for all the WWE people, maybe we could work out some sort of angle where like Khabib like appears backstage and like has a heart attack and gives it to Dustin and his, and it, with his dying breath or something like that. But, you know, absent of that, we can't put the hay back in the barn. You know, it's, it didn't happen this last time out. So Dustin has got to fight someone for it and that's fine. You know, as I figure as long as he's fighting for it, uh, he's earned it. He's the number one guy, uh, short of Khabib. Um, the question now is whether they go the, the money, the money route, the cash grabbing route, or they do some sort of, you know, thing, some, another sort of cash grab, like, you know, Diaz, uh, putting the Diaz fight together. Um, I think in, in a, in a, from a sporting perspective, I think that you give, uh, you do Chandler and Oliveira, uh, and they fight for the right to to fight Dustin. And by the time that sort of works itself out, um, Dustin will be healthy and ready to go, and you can have that title bout. Whoever wins that is the the best lightweight. All right, we will chime in more on the matchmaking because I know a lot of people are talking about that right now, where this division may go because it's a fascinating story. But the point for round one goes to... Jed Mishu, the challenger, is on the board. Excellent first round. But, Stephen, don't get down. This is how last week started, too. And then you uh, emerged victorious. So there we have it. Like so, uh, McGregor, I'm a quick starter. <laughs> the NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So let's let's talk more about UFC 257. Let's talk about the lightweight division. Let's first start with the co-main event. Michael Chandler makes his highly anticipated UFC debut. We waited, it seemed like, forever for it. It wasn't actually that long, but he comes to the octagon like my seven-year-old came downstairs on Christmas morning. He was happy as anything. He was frolicking, big smile on his face, and he goes in there and he knocks Dan Hooker out with essentially the first punch to the head that he landed in the fight, and he puts him away halfway through the first round. On top of that, he jumps on the microphone and is like Ric Flair after he wins the 1992 Royal Rumble. He starts calling out everybody, excellent promo, and calls out Connor. He calls out Habib makes his presence felt. So, Stephen, we're going to begin with you. Considering what was at stake in this fight, the doubters, the naysayers, the folks saying, well, this Chandler guy came over from the B-Leagues, what did you make of his performance? Could this have gone any better? I mean, obviously not. Maybe, you know, it could have taken place over the the time of seven seconds, you know, or 20 seconds or something like that. Uh, It could have been done faster, but... No, it was obviously a great performance. Uh, it did exactly what he needed to do. Um, proved that it was worth putting him in the fight in the first place. Um, so that's that's all well and good. I guess what I was, when you asked me this, uh, or when you put this question to me earlier, I was thinking about how we define uh, de- debuts. Like, why is this the best debut? Is it like the best debut of somebody who was a champion in another organization or was a known commodity and had a UFC debut, or was it the best debut overall? Because there are so many different examples that you can cite throughout UFC history of great debuts. Like there, there's just so many of them, like, you know, Brian Jimmo or, uh, Glover Teixeira, you know, uh, just, I mean, there's so many guys that came in and just blew the doors off of their opponents. So, I mean, you can put it in the context of, you know, it happened in UFC 257 in the co-men event, and you can give him that. But I tend to, like, agree with AK's take, Alexander Lee's take, uh, and the Great Divide when you're talking about, like, for cultural significance and actual, like, impact. Um, I would go with, like, a Ronda Rousey as far as uh, who I'd pick as the best. And that's just because, you know, she was breaking the glass ceiling, you know, uh, elevating the sport, uh, uh, making the debut for women in such on such a huge stage and delivering in such a huge way. And also uh, the fight was more of a back and forth. Um, This fight between Chandler and Hooker uh, was a contest where. Chandler really showed up and Hooker kind of didn't. He was very tentative and didn't take his shots and he wound up back against the cage and knocked out. Whereas you look at a performance like Ronda's, she actually gave up her back. Uh, Liz almost had her in a choke. She reversed that and then got the arm bar that she always gets. So for if we're, if we're thinking about known commodities making debuts, I agree with Jed that you know Anderson Silva's was amazing. 
But as far as two-way traffic and what makes a great fight, in addition to the stage that it's on, I, I would actually think that Ronda Rousey would win this one. Jed, I definitely want to get your take on where this ranks in the all-time debut list. Dana White thinks this is number one, or at least in the conversation. So I do want to get your take on that. In addition, you have been on this very program and on the website. You've been pretty vocal about Michael Chandler saying that, essentially, I don't want to put words in your mouth, he's a He's a bit outmatched. He's a bit outmatched compared to a lot of these guys at the top of this division. And let's just say you haven't been very high on him since making his way over from Bellator to the UFC. So where does this rank in all-time debuts? And in addition, did Saturday change anything in your eyes based on what he did in this fight with Dan Hooker? There's a lot to unpack there. First, I just want to say props to Steven because really didn't think we were going to get a Ryan Jimmo. (laughs) Reference. <laughs> good, good on him for that. Uh, look, uh, I, I wrote about this. Stephen referenced it. Me and uh, AK Lee wrote about it for the site. It came out today about who had the best debut. I think there's a good argument uh, for Ronda Rousey for sort of all those reasons that that Stephen uh, addressed there. You know, hers meant the most. Certainly, I think that's inarguable. Her debut meant more than anybody else's and kind of what what transpired after that matters a lot. But for me, I, I picked Anderson Silva, uh, and, and I still think that holds true. And, and just kind of go read the piece because it's great. I think Alex uh, Alexander Kaylee's arguments are great. I'm obviously fantastic. But kind of the, the short version of mine here, my argument there is, one, uh, Chandler's debut is impressive, uh, but it's impressive in a, in a very narrow way. Um, it, it was a one punch knockout. If they fought 10 times, maybe Chandler does beat him more often than not. Uh, but you can kind of write that off a, a little bit too. Well, it was the first punch he landed. Whereas Anderson Silva fought Chris Lieben, a guy who at the time was in, really well respected and very respected for being incredibly durable. And he literally fought a perfect fight. He, he missed, I think two punches the whole fight and had one landed on him in return. Uh, it, and I mean, going into that fight, another thing that kind of people forget is people didn't know who Anderson was, or at least they they knew him to an extent, but it was not a guarantee that he was fighting for the title next. It was, you know, this fight could set up the next guy for Rich Franklin, but it was by no means a foregone conclusion. And after 49 seconds, it was a foregone conclusion. And, and kind of for me, the big thing, and I think what is a, an argument that really stands in favor of both Rousey and Silva uh, and against Chandler here is, Debuts really matter in context. Like Ryan Jimmo is actually a really good example because Ryan Jimmo was a, a, a champion in another organization with a gaudy record, had a seven-second KO in his debut. If he had gone on to become the light heavyweight champion, that debut looks tremendous in hindsight. But instead, he lost a bunch, and then he's now he's Ryan Jimmo, and he's a joke that I just made. Uh, same thing, Ben Askren's debut. Too soon. Like, <laughs> okay and maybe not too soon he retired like five years ago <laughs> like ben oh. Askren on paper had a really good debut choking out robbie lawler and then he got bolted in five seconds and uh, now he's an afterthought i mean it, it's unfair a little bit but you can't judge the debut purely on what happened this weekend because if chandler goes on to be the lightweight champion and drag Habib out of retirement and then beat Habib, his debut rockets up the list. But if he's the next Will Brooks, then we're not going to remember this debut. And kind of to get then just to wrap it up by getting to your point here, I have been vocally against Michael Chandler. I have maintained everything that I said. I think that he's a good fighter. 
not a great lightweight. I personally think that that fight had as much to do with Dan Hooker looking like he had wanted no part of that fight. Uh, but I, I can't pretend like this has been a great, great week for me. <laughs> like I, I was very vocally wrong and ha- I'm having to eat my crow and that's fine. Uh, but I still, I mean, if you think Michael Chandler is one of the three best lightweights then you actually think he's one of the four best lightweights cause he got knocked out by a featherweight like a year and a half ago. And maybe that's true. It's just not something I've thought is the case, but I'm at least having to reconsider it because he killed Dan Hooker, which makes me really sad, but it was okay because I didn't have to be sad that long because Dustin Poirier knocked out Connor. And so everything's pretty good right now. RIP Ryan Jimmo. Yikes. All right. Well, let us uh, let us awkwardly transition to where this gets very interesting because there is still no lightweight champion after all of this. And like Jed said earlier, Habib, he ain't coming back. Not now. Maybe, maybe down the line. I don't see it happening, but he's definitely not coming back now. He's not in this conversation, despite what Dana White has been trying to say and did so on ABC television, for God's sake. So Chandler did his thing, wants a title shot. Poirier who is definitely in the title mix, absolutely no-sells Michael Chandler at the press conference, says he doesn't deserve it. He likes the idea of a, of a McGregor trilogy. He likes the idea of a Nate Diaz matchup. Basically, he's down for anything else besides Michael Chandler. So, Jed, let us begin with you, because there's a big difference in what will happen and what should happen, and I think everybody knows this. So, for the sake of this program... Sean Shelby is fired as the UFC matchmaker. You are now the man who will make this decision. So you have the mighty pen. How are you mapping out this division now? Who gets the title fight? Where does Chandler and McGregor fit in? What do we do? First, shout outs to Dustin Poirier because the only thing better than knocking out Conor McGregor is after you knock out Conor McGregor, no selling Michael Chandler. Really, he could not have done better this weekend for my eyes. I loved every minute of that. Uh, This is pretty straightforward. Actually, I don't think what I would do is not what's going to happen, and arguably what I would do is not what should happen. If I had the power of the pin here, uh, I'm doing Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje. They're rematching for the title. They're the number one and two guys in the division. It's the fight I thought they should have made instead of this Poirier-McGregor fight in the first place. Like That was the fight that made sense to me because I never thought Habib was coming back, so just do that. You put the number one and the number two guy against each other, and you have your new lightweight champion. Their first fight was fight of the year. Like Nothing bad comes from that. I think what's actually going to end up happening is uh, the cleanest lines to draw here are doing Poirier versus Oliveira. Poirier seems amenable to that idea uh and then doing chandler gaethje and the winner of chandler gaethje fights the winner of of poye Oliveira. my guess is that poye Oliveira is for the title and not part of a tournament but i mean functionally you end up having a lightweight grand prix there with the top four guys in the division uh i think that's what's going to happen and that probably is what should happen it's just not what i do because i want to see dustin poye and Justin gaethje fight again like that's that's all i want to see i want that one again Steven, you sort of touched on this already, but kind of throwing in where Chandler and McGregor and maybe some others fit into this equation. There's, again, what should happen and there's what will happen. There seems to be a lot of people believing that maybe they just run it back, do McGregor versus Poirier for the title. And 
end this trilogy the way that it is. I don't love that idea, but I don't feel like this trilogy is the same as the Diaz trilogy. You could do the Diaz third fight anytime you want, and it's relevant. I feel like if you don't do McGregor Poirier now, you may not ever get it again. That's the only reason why. I don't like this idea at all, but I understand why people believe this could happen. So mapping out this lightweight division, what do you see happening with all the major parties involved here? Yeah, what like like you said, I kind of mentioned it before how I think it how I think it should happen. I think that uh, Chandler's debut uh, warrants a title eliminator fight, and I think Charles Oliveira is long overdue for a title shot. Although he hasn't had to wait as long as Khabib um, for a variety of reasons, of course. Um, but yeah, I think that those two should fight for the right to fight Dustin uh, for, the, for the belt. I think Dustin doesn't have to do anything more. Um, as far as where Connor goes, I think that, you know, you the thing that you can sell with him now is that he's always avenged his losses. And that's why I think there's a lot of like steam behind, you know, you can, you can still get a lot of meat out of uh, Connor McGregor versus Nate Diaz three. Uh, I think that's the reason why a lot of people are talking about that because, you know, it's an easy way to hit the till while the rest of the lightweight division is going on and all the legitimate matchups are going on. And then they can be sort of, you know, whoever wins that can be sort of a wild card. Um, I've also thought, why not do uh, Holloway versus Connor two at lightweight? Um, I think that would be a, a great fight with Holloway stalled out at featherweight, you know, uh, Volkanovsky, not, not at all eager to fight that guy a third time for, you know, reasonable um, for, for obvious reasons, for, for rational reasons. Um, and I think that that would be a great fight that would sell, you know, fantastically between, uh, for, for the division. And it would, it would, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hold up max for the future. Um, do I have a cat in here that's making an appearance? <laughs> is my cat, no, is my cat a I can't stress to you how bad of an idea Holloway versus McGregor two is. Because okay, look, tell me I, why. Oh, I would lo- I would love to watch Connor catch that ass beaten, but Max Holloway puts him in a real just bad spot. I'm trying to think of a better way to say this than something. Because hand up, viewers, I totally forgot that Ryan Jimma passed away. My bad. Uh, that I'm saying that, so I'm trying to not make any more egregious statement <laughs> about this. But if Max Holloway and Connor fought again at any weight class, Max Holloway's going to put his dick in the dirt. Like, it's going to be bad. Connor don't want those problems. Uh, so we should, I mean, I, it'd be hella fun for me to watch, but he probably wouldn't fight again. Like, he, you want him to take, look, he's not Calvin Cater. He's not going to take 500 shots to the head and, and still be standing. Like, that's going to be a bad fight. The fight you do for Connor, look, Nate Diaz is fine, and that's probably what's going to happen, whatever. I'm, cool it doesn't at least doesn't keep anything else the fight you do for connor seems really easy to me if i have the power of the pin it's rda that was the fight that was lost rda just had a big win at lightweight a win over rda keeps him in the title mix lets him start ostensibly working back into contention like he seems to want to do he already had like a full training camp like there's a lot to build on there uh we get to see him deal with somebody who's going to kick him in the legs which we now need to know if he can adjust before he goes and fights Justin Gaethje like that seems the real obvious Connor fight for me I'm just talking about Connor from a cash perspective hitting the till and I think that's a big fight I think that's a fight that sells really well because 
because of the rematch, because of Connor's history with rematches, and because yeah, you know the, the rest, it's like it's right, it's running in parallel. Basically, these are not fights that necessarily have direct bearing on the on the division, although they could. You know, the UFC uses a lot of like commercial success to justify decisions as far as their matchmaking. You you feel like, I feel like you want to say something right now and inter- interrupt. <laughs> so I'm going to let you. Look, when you have you, you got to bleed that pig. You can't just slaughter it. Like you gotta drain every, you gotta squeeze all the juice out of. The UFC slaughters their pigs. They slaughter them. Since when did they bleed them? The UFC has a history of sending its stars and and contenders to the slaughterhouse. Like they have a history. You have the golden goose. You don't want to kill it to eat a goose dinner. You want it to keep shitting gold eggs. Max is just gonna. You want the golden egg to be the, the golden goose to be killed. I mean, let's 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 be honest here. You want that golden goose. No longer producing golden eggs. He just put up 1.6 million against God love Dustin Poirier, a dude that people don't really know. Like he's gonna put up one one and a half against a broomstick. So at least give him a broomstick that he can arguably beat or won't like embarrass him. Max would end his whole career, man. I I really think that's like maybe the worst fight Connor could ever take. Give him Tony Ferguson. He would crush Tony. I've thought he'd beat Tony for years and he should have taken that when Tony was at his peak because then that adds to his mystique. But like ain't literally anybody other than Max. Like I'm I, go to welterweight, fight anybody there. Max is just a terrible match for him. Yeah, I mean it's I I don't disagree with you. It's not it's obviously not a great match, but it's sellable and it and it keeps it going. Like maybe it doesn't keep it going as long as you want, but if a if he's not going to last as long, and b if he can you know come back and fight somebody else, he's still going to be a big star. Like he's Connor is always going to be a big star, no matter and until he basically hangs up the gloves. That's the way it's going to be. So I, I'm proposing this as some, look, this is just one idea too, by the way. Like this is, you know, Nate Diaz versus uh, Connor three is probably the likely thing. Okay, not the greatest idea. I'm thinking purely in terms of like the master, you know, getting the most cash out of the, uh, out of the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the workers, we'll say politely. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, Independent contractors. There you go. But yeah, I mean, it's just uh, there, there's there's a lot of different options for them as as far as I, I see it uh, for them to sort of hit the till and uh, keep the sport moving, which, in my opinion, should be Poirier versus the winner of Chandler versus Oliveira. All right. Last last thing on this. And uh, I'll, I'll give you guys a chance to respond and then give like a one sentence answer. Why? Before we move on. Steven, I'll begin with you. UFC comes to Dustin Poirier with two options. You get the trilogy with Conor McGregor, main event spot, no title on the line, or you fight Michael Chandler with the title on the line. What's he going with? I think he'll go with Conor. <laughs> There's just so much money, you know, and it's a winnable fight, obviously. Uh, you had the, the, the result that you did last time. I picked that fight. I think that the belt is a very, very strong, strong attraction to him. And, Maybe, maybe he would do it if it were for if it were for the belt. Um, but I don't know. Just the way that he reacted uh, to Chandler the the first time, his ideas about what constitutes right and wrong in the sport, which are completely valid, by the way. Um, I think that he would probably you know choose Connor and uh, you know get another pair of those uh, red panties. 
<laughs> what do you think, Jed? These are the two options. No other option. It's McGregor non-title, or you check off that box that you want to check off before you call it a career, but you have to fight Michael Chandler to do so. What do you think he does? I think he should take the McGregor trilogy fight. I think he actually would take the the Chandler. I, I think it's the belt. Uh, he he's been been pretty clear that he, that's kind of the one big thing he's he's lacking in his career. And I mean, maybe he says I'll just run it with Boye, but I I think he'd fight for the belt if he was given the chance. Well, all we can say we can agree or disagree on all of this, but we can all agree that lightweight is the best. It has been that way for a long time. It's very interesting story in 2021, but just like this matchup is fun. The point for round two goes to Steven Morocco. I think we already knew that this was coming one-to-one, but uh, a heated debate, which we love so much, but uh, let us wrap a little bow around the rest of UFC 257 because the two big fights have gotten a lot of attention and rightfully so, but there were some other great performances that may not be getting the love that they so deserve. So Steven Morocco, we will begin with you. We're going to call this segment, the unsung hero award winner of UFC 257. So who fits that bill for you? Who deserves that like 10th player award type honor following Saturday night? Well, clearly Jose Young's for uh, working the entire <laughs> event. Um, not getting a lot of sleep, uh, sending us a video, um, and, uh, doing the, the pre and post shows, uh, with, you know, panache and verve. Um, other than that, uh, I would say that the guy who shimmied across four balconies, um, being my second, pick, um, takes a lot of effort to shimmy, um, across four balconies. Um, and then last but not least, um, uh, Mary, uh, Marina Rodriguez, sorry. <laughs> uh, she did a great job. She deflated the, the hype bubble of Amanda Hibas, um, proved that she can get up from the takedown uh, and, and, and let her, her fists do the talking. And um, even though I didn't get to watch it live, I was super impressed by it. Um, thanks to ESPN Plus. And uh, yeah, I, I think that she uh, proves that she can fight uh, you know, even if even if she's not going to get like a title shot right away, she's she's definitely in the hunt. And to me, she was the biggest uh, takeaway, like the biggest unsung hero from UFC 257. Jed, what do you think? Who gets the uh, unsung hero award for you, and why? Look, let me first just say whatever the opposite of the unsung hero award that goes to Casey right now. How does how does Steven not get bells for for the shimmying across the balcony thing? That was majestic. <laughs> I know I'm against him right now, but that was a hell of an answer. Like, full props for that answer. Uh, Marina Rodriguez, I think, is a great choice uh, because she did this really hilarious thing, which she started to do, which is she lost the first round and decided, okay, well, I'm not going to stop getting taken down, but I'm just going to punch her way harder now. Like, that's all she did. Like, she did nothing really different. It's like, I'm just going to really lay into her, and it worked. Uh and it's a it's a brilliant strategy, and I I loved that. Uh, I'll I'll give a little bit of love uh, to a couple other people straight from the undercard. Marcin Prochnio, look, that was a dude I thought was about to get levels. I mean, I know Julio Roundtree's been on a, a not a great streak lately, but this is a dude who knocked out Gokensaki, and 
Prochnia had been knocked out in the first round of the last like three fights coming in. He was one of, if not the biggest dogs on the card and pulled out like straight up win, like just high volume straight win. Like that's a look, man, I got, got to give props to that. Cause nobody else is going to talk about <laughs> Prochnia. So I'll feel, uh, I'll, I'll feel the need to do so. And then for me, I, I'm just going to throw out Brad Tavares. I know that it's not, the most exciting fight. I just have a lot of respect for who Brad Tavares is because he has a definite ceiling, but he is just a, he's a professional. He is a professional fighter. He, every time comes out, he knows exactly what he's doing. He executes a game plan. uh, And he's, he's really good. Like he, he's one of those guys like Neil Magny and some others who he is maximizing the tools that he has. And, and I always have a, a great amount of respect for that because, yeah, he's never going to be the champion. There, there are just limitations to what he can do in this sport. But that limitation is not for lack of effort or, or will or, or anything like that. He's putting everything he has into the sport, and he's reaping good benefits and, and dividends. And so I, I want to shout him out for that because, I mean, work like doing your best should count for a lot, and he definitely does his best. I do want to ask this question that somebody sent me a couple of hours ago, shining some further light on the female fighters who had big wins on Saturday. Of course, like Steven said, we had Marina Rodriguez. She finished Amanda Hibas, Juliana Pena, great performance against Sarah McMahon, then calls out Amanda Nunes. And then Joanne Calderwood looked really good in her fight against Jessica. I, so Jed, we're going to begin with you ranking these fighters from like three to one. And this is kind of predicting that all three of these women will get to this point in their careers where would you rank the likelihood of each of these ladies getting to a title fight first, in your opinion? To just to a title fight, uh, yeah. I Jojo Calderwood's going to be number one, as in is going to get there first. Uh, Pena will be number two, and Rodriguez will be number three. I want to be clear that is not a reflection on Marina Rodriguez. Juliana Pena just fights in a thinner division, and. Her calling out uh, Amanda Nunes was categorically insane, and the belief that Amanda Nunes has literally any fear whatsoever in any part of her body about Juliana Pena is ridiculous. Uh, but she fights in a relatively thin division. She has a name and some level of star power. She can get there pretty quickly. I think JoJo may just sneak into a title shot next. She probably has to win one more, but she you could give her a title fight. No one's really going to buck about that. So I, I, I'll give her number one, Pena two, and Rodriguez three. You in the same boat, Steven, or are you looking at it are, differently? Are we just talking about from UFC 257 competitors? I mean, yeah, these three ladies who fought and won at 257. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with the, I would agree with Jed there. I mean, Jojo had the title shot, uh, took that fight on short notice, got caught, um, was doing great beforehand, beat Jessica I, one-time title challenger. Um, and I, I just think there's some uh, there's some uh, righteousness, there's some justice in her getting a, a title shot after stepping up for the company and then uh, falling short. Um, Pena, I, I'm, I'm with Jed. I, I don't see any world in which she gets uh, a title shot next. Um, she's been far too uneven in her recent record. And Rodriguez just doesn't have the, the cachet yet. He, but the Hebus win was a step in the right direction, but she also has some losses that Carla Spars in previous fight. Um, so she's going to need to beat the bigger names uh, before she before she gets in that title picture. So, yeah, I don't really have anything different to add. 
Big shout out to Mahmoud Muradov. Great performance for him. I also want to give a shout out to Nick Lentz, who announced his retirement following his loss to Mavzar Evloyev. What a career that guy had. Evloyev is a legit, legit prospect. Lentz gave him that work a little bit, gave him everything he can handle. But uh, lastly, on 257, we. I said that. Just because I thought that Nick Lentz was Darren Elkin doesn't mean that what I said wasn't what's wrong. I totally was like, that's a way tougher fight than it looks like. I just confused the two. So let's be clear on that. Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, we have to touch on this Atman Isaitar story because everyone was wondering what was in the bag and all of that. But Steven, I mean, we're not going to talk about that because nobody knows. But what the hell was this guy thinking? Like, what were they all thinking? His whole team, what were they thinking with this decision? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, Mike. Sometimes professional fighters don't think don't think ahead, you know? It seems to be an issue that I've uh, encountered over my 14 years of doing this. Um, I remember being outside the uh, one of the, 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 God, it was like, it was the International Fight Week. And I think it was Jay Haran just came up to me and was like, hey man, can I use your bracelet? And, you know, I was a little bit younger in the business and wanted to, you know, be friends with everybody. And I was just like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, man, go ahead. Like, I'm guessing it was that dumb. Like there wasn't a whole lot of forethought. It was just like, I'll borrow it for a second. I'll be right back. Who knew there'd be shimmying involved? Um, (laughs) So I think it's, uh, you know, we don't know like what, you know, obviously a lot of the details with what he was trying to transport and stuff like that. It sounds really nefarious, but it could also just equally be something really dumb, like swim trunks for the after party in the pool. Um, so, you know, the UFC has to draw some boundaries. They have this protocol. They've done a very, very good job at keeping the bubble intact uh, thus far. They've thrown a lot of money at the problem and they've it's like a kind of like a, a prison um, in there uh, with good food and a, and a nice pool. But. Um, you know, you cross that line in this in this day and age, and you're going to have some serious consequences. So I can't say I think that it wasn't an overreaction. I, I I can't say I think it was an overreaction because, you know, the day and age that we're in, you just you just can't go go and do that. What did you think of this whole story, Jed? I mean, it's just so wild, so bizarre, so crazy. I mean, I thought it was, it, it's objectively funny, right? Like it, there, there's no, he shimmied across. The, there's still not a good answer to why he shimmied across balconies and then just walked down the hall. Like it's, it's all insane and it's all kind of hilarious. Uh, I think the thing that a, a couple of people have talked about, and we don't need to go into depth here is that, you know, what were they thinking part of it? Well, they probably were thinking that consequences don't apply to them. Uh, and I say that because Amin's brother, uh, Abu, was previously a UFC signee and bloody elbow. If you guys haven't read it, there, there's an article from a couple of years back. You can go read outlining a, a lot of like really controversial is a, a way to put it. Uh, a lot of, I'm trying to think of a way that's not, uh, that says exactly what I mean to say here. There are a lot of things that would make you hesitate to want to associate yourself with him in a business or personal sense. Now, a lot of the stuff in that article you know, was from a period of time ago, but some of those connections, connections to organized crime, stuff like that. Again, that, that, that's not Amin, that's his brother Abu, but there seemed to be some level of connected in there. And 
that just sort of builds on onto a, a grander idea that well are they are they really facing any kind of like actual punishment for these crimes like if if you're if you're living that kind of life why would you think that the rules apply to you if you're surrounded by people who operate life in a way where the rules don't apply to them so you know i, I certainly want to be on in steven's side and say yeah you know they probably weren't thinking because it was just kind of a dumb thing that you do but I think that there's a, at least a little bit of history here that could point to it being a, a, a little bit more of a systemic problem or, or something that's a little that it's a little a little deeper than boys will be boys. And so, you know, we, we don't need to get too into it because at the end of the day, it is still just objectively hilarious. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's, it's the funniest thing that's happened in fighting in quite some time. And I'm, I'm content <laughs> enough to just, cause I, I don't, it's not like I think that there was something really bad in the bag or anything. So it can just live in that world of weird MMA arcana. That's hilarious. I hope we never find out what's in the bag. So it's going to go down as one of the big mysteries in our sport. What was in like, Atman Azatar's bag? Dude, like, like the, the, uh, the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. It's just, we don't know. <laughs> the, the, yeah. The, the box in seven. I was saying, what's in the box? Yes. What's in the box? <laughs> what's in the bag? What's in the bag? But yes, the mystery remains. I have no idea what's in the bag. People want to know. Just know that this, I don't know, maybe we'll find out someday. But uh, round three comes to an end. Point goes to. Oh, the build for this is amazing. There we go. <laughs> Steven Morocco is up two to one. So let us move ahead to what y'all came to talk about. You all wanted to hear the reaction to this. The big news from earlier this week, ESPN reports on Tuesday that a boxing match between Jake Paul and Ben Askren is taking place on April 17th, which will be my son's eighth birthday. So he gets to attach the rest of his life to the night that Ben Askren and Jake Paul fought. But uh, be that as it may, there will also be a UFC event that night. But this is happening. It's a Triller Presents event, much like the Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. card. But eight rounds of boxing between Jake Paul and Ben Askren. So first off, let me just say I was very surprised by this for a couple of reasons. One, because Askren just had major hip surgery in September. But he did speak with Ariel Hawani. He's kind of cleared that up. But also our own Damon Martin just spoke to Ben Askren today. So look for that to drop, I believe, tomorrow. And the other reason why... When this fight was becoming a thing, there were some outlets that were reporting this was a done deal. It was not even close to being a done deal. Not at all. It was like barely even at like the preliminary stages despite reports coming up. But the fight being a done deal was probably like four or five days old. So I'll just get that out there. But I'll admit, I thought we were all being trolled with this whole thing. And I was wrong. So here we are. So Jed Mishu, you know me well enough at this point. I don't like to make assumptions, but I will in this case. Something tells me that you are loving this fight more than most things in the world. Am I accurate in this assessment or am I way wrong? No, oh, you're really wrong. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I hate this. Um, there, are, there are no winners. Uh, everyone's a loser here. Nothing good will come of this. Uh, I always thought it was going to happen because it, it makes so much sense. Like, if Jake Paul wants to fight a guy who he thinks that he can beat and maybe isn't wrong in that regard, or at least 
there's reason for him to believe that while still beating a fighter to gain some credibility. Ben Askren clearly thinks he's going to mop the floor with this dude and get to box, which would be like, remember Matt Hughes? When Matt Hughes, just like his whole aspiration in life was to knock somebody out of his hands. Uh, like there's a little bit of that to Askren. There's always, it's just a truckload of money. Like it, it always made sense to me and I never wanted it. I can't believe we're here. Uh, it, it's bad on every possible level. Good for them. Get checks. I don't, I don't begrudge a person getting paid because I mean, shit, I'd go box J Paul to get paid. Like that's fine. But it's the next few weeks or months or whatever interminable amount of time it's going to be between now and then it is going to feel like a lifetime because Jake Paul is not clever. He is very clearly good at being a celebrity and, and cultivating that in the way that he has. You can't argue with the results, but he's in, he's very objectively just not a clever individual. So this is going to be bad trash talk. Ben Askren is at least a little clever, like more clever, but I never liked Ben Askren that much. And I'm, I'm the part that sucks is there's not a good outcome because I'm put in a situation. I have to either root for Ben Askren, who is Ben Askren. And come on, man, like go go read his Twitter feed for literally a day. I have to read it every day, and it makes me not like him more and more. Or Jake Paul, who I'm still not confident I know which one is Jake versus Logan, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Neither of them are people that I want to know about because I'm an old person and I don't care about the young, the youths and their movement. And and I really, if this is the dude who videoed the dead guy in a tree, I really don't want to support him. So I want both of them to lose. The only good outcome, because if Jake Paul wins, that's going to be miserable. And if Ben Askren wins, then Ben Askren won. And I don't feel good about that happening. The only good outcome is that like the ring just collapses and everyone just goes away or it falls into the sea like that. If the whole arena, the thriller, the thriller arena just fell into the sea, that would be a good outcome. Otherwise this is going to dominate the conversation for the next two months. And I'm going to hate every minute of it and hate watching. Let's be clear. I'm going to hate watching. Steven, why is, why is Cam Soda okay? And Jake Paul versus Ben Askren not. Oh, and no, I, I didn't say that this isn't okay. This is totally oh. okay. I mean, if you okay. want to, if this is your thing, great. Like, this is a thing that is not for me because of the people involved in it. Like, but no, I'm I'm obviously a big Cam Soda and a big Ridiculous Fight guy. Like, and like I said, if I'm been asking, I'm doing the same thing. Like, get them checks, buddy. But I'm I am not. I don't particularly enjoy either person in it. I think this has limited entertainment and sporting merit. And so it just has, there's very little that can appeal to me here. Does it just feel like you at all, I have this image in my head of like you, like scrawling, like in graffiti on, on Jake Paul's grave, like objectively not a clever person. That I would mean, really. I, I don't think that. Look, I'm, I, I'll be a hand up. I haven't watched his whole oeuvre. Like maybe he's way more clever than I think. But all the things that I've seen are just like real dude broy. Like, okay. Yeah, sure. When you put him next to Oscar Wilde, he's not clever. He's not witty. <laughs> That's not the market we're going for here. You know, it's like next to Oscar Wilde, though. He's just not witty. Like, witty repartee is what not what we're in this business for. Which is why it just it puts us in a puts us in a terrible position, you know, like we, we have been covering this for, for how long? Like we're a, like 
and, and doing a good job and doing a serious job of it, right? You know, we're trying to, yeah, opinions vary, opinions vary, but now like our track, you know, there's these, these, these things that get so much attention and they suck up so much oxygen and they become impossible to ignore that we have to treat them like they're some sort of serious or even if they're not serious that we have to we have to pay attention to them and we have to provide them oxygen because that's the way we make you know our bones so i mean yeah it's, it's objectively bad it's basically a continuation of what triller has been doing before and a continuation of what logan paul started with with the ksi thing you know uh what, what was that that feels like so long ago but it was not that long ago that that actually happened um, the the way that I think of it is that we're just scratching at like known commodities in the, you know, internet combat sports world. They found something and then they're just trying to hit it as many times. I don't know why they couldn't get uh, Dylan Dennis. It seems like we're kind of getting the consolation prize here. You know, they had that one teed up. You know, they couldn't have teed it up better. They had the the, the cameras rolling when when the Jake did his whole stunt. I but, literally, uh, nothing worse could happen. Like what? I Dennis versus Dennis versus Paul. Dennis versus anybody is something that should <laughs> never happen. We should excommunicate him from the sport. But Dennis versus Paul. Actually, that might be better because if it was Dennis versus Paul, I could like I wouldn't even hate watch that. Um, this one I I'm going to and look I'll just to be fair because I'm going to try to be fair. I actually think that on the merits of the bout, this might be competitive. Like Jake Paul is not a professional boxer. Neither has Ben Askren. Like if, if this, if you got rid of the people and I didn't have to know who the people are and just looked at the fight and everything else about the people beyond their personalities, I can say that it is kind of interesting because Askren is not a great striker, but I think he's better than certainly better than Jake Paul thinks and better probably than many people think. Like he was kind of outboxing Damian Maya, who's also like not that bad of a striker, but and also he's just been a combat sports athlete for over a decade. Like that there's a lot of ground he already has ahead. But Jake Paul, I mean, hate him or not, like that's fine if you hate him. I am not gonna be the guy to say don't hate the man. He has clearly worked really hard on on boxing, on learning the sport, being better at the sport. Like he's never going to be a professional level, but he's not trying to be that. And so at least that I can appreciate and respect. Like he is, Jake's the one who knocked out Nate Robinson, right? Let me, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That dude, the other one sucks. He lost to the rapper. Like he's, he's hot trash, but Jake is at least like really trying to work. And like, he actually showed some things in the Nate Robinson part. So like on that level, I can at least I, – there is a part of me that can respect that J, while Jake Paul is in some regards making a mockery of boxing or whatever, I don't really give a shit about that, he's he's still being a little Jake Pauly, but he is, where it counts, working. And I can respect that he is taking it seriously and coming into this as a serious athlete. And Ben Askren I don't like as a person, but I absolutely can respect what he has accomplished in sport and what he does in sport. So if you take away the personalities, I'm actually marginally interested in the fight because it's kind of fun, but the overwhelming who they are just mm, really, really isn't my favorite thing. 
Yeah, all you have to do is take away 90% of who they are, and it's actually a a (laughs) mid-level, mid-card fight. Great. Yeah. Great, great selling point. You have to take away every, like, all of the reasons that people are going to buy and watch this, you got to get rid of those. And then I'm in. (laughs) But if you leave all (laughs) there, I'm way less excited about it. All right, so let me let me let me ask both of you guys this before we we uh, we move on because we're running out of time. The UFC is I don't know if they're going to counter program this, but Robert Whitaker versus Paulo Costa will be headlining that event on April seventeenth. So, kind of a two parter here, Stephen. One, if you're the UFC, do you get this card rolling as early as possible to try to avoid this altogether? And two. Take the fact that you cover this sport out of it and that it's your job. If you could only watch one of these events and you could not even go on Twitter to find out what's going on with the other, which one are you watching? Are you watching Askren Paul or are you watching the UFC event headlined by Whitaker and Costa? I mean, I'm watching the UFC event. I got into this sport because I like... <laughs> See, blatant play for the judges uh, right there. Um I'm getting into this because I've been covering this for so long because I like the sport. I don't like the, I I hate the WWE. I despise the WWE and I despise all of the things that it makes fighters think they need to do. And I just, and I despise how effective it is in drawing in casual, casual viewers. Um, I got into this because I like watching the sport. One is a sport and one is not really a sport. It's like, bum fights or you know insert like random internet weirdness here it's just like one is serious and one isn't and so i'm gonna watch the one that's serious because i do think to a certain extent when you put them side by side you know you have two you have two different things one is like the best athletes in the world doing what they're best at and one is like you know guys just sort of trying to stage a car crash and uh as fun as that is um for a split second um i'm kind of more of the purest and i've always been that way you know i'm I, I i i get disappointed a lot i feel like in in this sport because i i, I take it so seriously sometimes and then there's so many times when it's quite obvious that it's not a real sport and it's not being promoted as a real sport because of commercial considerations. So um, I'm one of those purists and I would definitely be watching uh, the UFC. What was it? What was the other question that you had? The I have first to go question? back and think. I was so lost in your, in your question. Um, should the UFC try to get this thing rolling earlier in the day as opposed to trying yes. to like counter-program? Okay. Nope. Yes, absolutely. Steer clear of it. Um, although, like, does it really matter? I mean, they've got the TV deal. They're supposed to meet a certain number of events per year. This is, you know, to meet the contract, uh, contractual obligations to the fighters and the and the TV broadcast partners. So uh, this is this is also not their super premium content. This is a fight night card as opposed to Conor McGregor. So, um, but yeah, sure. If you want to bolster your TV numbers, probably steer clear. What are you doing, Jed? Which one are you going to uh, partake in if you could only choose one? So first, just, yeah, you you don't counter-program this. You're not going to be that – like it's not the same market realistically. It, you're just not going to be that successful. Uh, you're probably just going to hurt yourself when you can maximize that. So just whatever you think about this fight, it's probably going to do pretty good numbers. 
Um, I hate the second question because it made me like really grapple with who I am as a person. Uh, I get real. <laughs> it was a very existential like last two minutes for me uh, because I think, and I'm loath to say this. I think I would watch the the Paul Askren uh, match over the UFC if if I can only choose one, and I don't get to I'm gonna watch it. And it's gonna be a couple of reasons. Look, I'm with you all the way, Stephen. Meritocratically, from a purist standpoint, one of those is much better than the other. I have two major problems, and the first one is I'm pretty confident that that Robert Whitaker is just gonna beat the brakes off Paul Acosta. So I don't have to see that to, to know how that's going to play out in my head. But really the bigger issue is I'm a bad person. Um, and as much as I would like to be a white knight and say, yeah, I, I do the things for me and that's it. And to hell with all the rest of you purist to the moon, that, that's just not been the case in my life. Uh, I, I'm not a WWE fan. I'm not in this for, the, for any of that stuff. But I can tell you that the, I assume this fight happens on a Saturday. I can tell you that when I wake up Sunday, I'm going to have 25 text messages from people that I haven't spoken to in years because I'm the dude who does fights like all of my old friends from college and high school, all that. are going to reach out and be like, oh, tell me your thoughts on this and responding to them with, I don't know, I was watching a random UFC event while fine. It really hurts my like public cachet. And I'm, I'm in it for that. Like, that's that's why I got into the sport, for the fame and the money. That's why I'm here as an MMA journalist, so I can be famous. And the way to be famous is when people come to you to have the answers that matter. And they're not going to come – like, literally nobody is going to ask me about Robert Whitaker versus Paul Acosta. But a lot of people are going to ask me about the Askren thing. And maybe I also just hate myself a little, and I want to feel bad and dirty watching it. But that's it. Like if if I can only pick one, I'm I'm gonna pick the shitty boxing match. <laughs> oh like man, said, it was a very existential moment in the last few minutes. Yeah, I mean, f- f- this is the thing, folks. We're talking about this: Jake Paul versus Ben Askren. And I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna take full responsibility for this, but I feel partially responsible for this because when I interviewed Ben Askren in November and he was working with one championship, I asked him about this thing specifically. He said what he said. Here we are. I know he's done other interviews since to kind of like pump the tires a little more, but uh, but here we be in January 28th, getting ready for April 17th. But the point for this round goes to... Jed Mishu, how can we not give him the point after that deep philosophical and maybe psychological dive into his own brain? Trying to I'm decipher. Who's gonna watch? The final round, though. Like I'm, I'm a mess right now. I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> oh man. Well, it all comes down to this. It is time for the knocker round. One question will decide it all. Neither competitor knows what this question is. Last week we brought back the fun segment. What am I thinking? This week we will go with a more traditional final question because each of these excellent journalists are here. They've already gone through that ringer. They're going to each have 60 seconds to answer this question. Once that is done, we will go over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, E. Casey Lydon to render the final decision. But I will say, Casey considers himself the people's judge. So as this round is playing out, make sure to give your take on who wins the knockout round and the game in the chat. 
If you want to go on Twitter and use the hashtag BTL, why not? I don't know. I will say we're working behind the scenes to try to figure out a way to have the listeners and viewers vote on how these things play out in the future. Still playing around with that. But for now, we keep things old school on the program. With that said, Steven, you are the champion and you have the champion's prerogative. So would you like to answer this first or pass it on over to Jed? I'll answer it first. Look at this champion going first. Okay, so here is the question, Stephen. As we have talked about for the last couple of weeks, the UFC's lightweight division, the championship scene where Habib may or may not fit into this puzzle, it is a fascinating story and arguably the most intriguing storyline in the UFC for the rest of 2021. So the question is, as we wrap up January and the UFC heads back to Las Vegas next weekend, outside of the 155-pound division, what is your most intriguing storyline to watch for the rest of this year of our Lord, 2021? So we put one minute on the clock. Outside the lightweight division, most intriguing storyline for the rest of 21. Your time starts now. Is this competitively or just in the in general with the sport? I have to ask a question before we start. Like, is this, does this have want. to do with fighting? Whatever I want. Great. Perfect. The antitrust case. Boom. Start the clock. <laughs> Start the clock. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's um, the UFC has been doing business uh, for uh, a long time, uh, for you know over a decade now. They've been doing a business a particular way. Um, and there are there's finally a, a real challenge to the validity of that business model in terms of uh, anti-competitive contact, uh, anti-competitive conduct and monopsony power, sorry. Um, And with the class being certified with fighters, uh, I'm just dying to know um, if they've, if the judge sees that their case has got merit, if the UFC has actually been, can be proven to have uh, engaged in anti-competitive conduct. if it does go through, if they lose and they, or they wind up settling the case, it could fundamentally change the way that the business is conducted. It could change the lengths of contracts. It could change the way that people negotiate uh, in the business. And that could have huge repercussions for the actual business of MMA, how things get put together and co- competition in general. All right. I wanted to give him an extra few seconds to, to figure that out. Jed, same question to you. Like most of these questions on this program, open to interpretation. So outside of the 155-pound division in the UFC, what is the most intriguing storyline you have your eye on for the rest of this year? We have the one-minute marker on the clock in the Hulk Hogan red and yellow. Your time starts now. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's maybe a little close to what Steven said, but entirely different. And by that, I'm, I'm talking about the UFC's like open decision to just let talent walk away. Like Dana White said, they're cutting people and, and they're bringing in, frankly, they're bringing in talent off the contender series. And we've already started to see that happen. Anderson Silva, Yoel Romero, uh, we're, we are anticipating even more of that happening. And so to me, that that's the most interesting thing about this year is specifically with Bellator picking up even more talent, really growing themselves. They have the potential this year to really become a not a maybe not a competitor quite but to really start laying the foundation and then if antitrust comes down then bell it's a whole new ball game maybe bell can but I, the way the ufc is, is letting their star like their aging veterans and stars leave to replace them with young talent uh it, you know union busting tactics frankly is it's fascinating for the far-reaching implications for all the other organizations 
and, and how they're going to look growing off of off of what the UFC has chosen to do. All right, both very uh, very interesting, compelling arguments here. I wish we could have like three minutes to give those arguments, but uh, well said, well done by both individuals. But as you know, I'm a coward. I take this off of my plate altogether. So I give it on over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, the Honorable E. Casey Lydon to render the final decision. I don't know what the chat's looking like, Casey, but uh, we turn it on over to you. Who is the Between the Links champion? (sighs) (laughs) Audible sigh. I'm looking at the comments. The comments. There's a little, there's a bit of the, a delay with the internet, but the comments are coming in. I'm, I'm seeing. I, I I've kind of made my decision, but I want to see what the people are saying. All right, all right. You're the people. The people. The people. <clears throat> all right, all right. Your winner. Oh man, it was close. It was close. And still, Stephen Morocco. <laughs> wow. 2021. The year of Poirier. The year of Jake Paul versus Ben Askren. The year of the title reign for Stephen Morocco. Unbelievable. He gets it done yet again. What a battle indeed. Jen Mishu will certainly be back. But Stephen, you don't get any money or an actual championship belt for your victory. But you do get 30 seconds to wax poetically about whatever it is you want to talk about, good, bad, and different in the sport of mixed martial arts. The floor is yours. Well, my BTL record is now two and one. Um, I plan on entering, uh, to trying to get on tough because a two and run record is, is usually good for that. Um, but other than that, uh, I am looking forward to starting a new reign, a more just reign, um, a more even-handed reign uh, unencumbered by a lot of the moral uh, and uh, philosophical issues that the previous champion was grappling with. So I hope you'll join me in this uh, this journey that we're all on in this uh, crazy year of our Lord 2021. And uh, cheers to you. Jed, what would you like to say? Well, like the Ben Askren problem, uh, I blame this entirely on you. <laughs> Um, your question made me reassess who I am as a person. And that, that shook me heading into the final round here. Uh, the last thing I want to say is what I was going to say with my winner speech, which is just Habib knew for like literal years. Habib's just been saying Dustin Poirier is the dude other than him. And I think now we all agree. So shouts to Habib. Way to go, buddy. There you go. So now we got to find some, uh, some new blood, for our champion, Stephen Morocco, because just like in the UFC, you could be a champion, but doesn't really count until you defend once. And Stephen has done that successfully. So congratulations to Stephen. Jed, you are great. You will certainly be back on multiple times this year. I think you had 15 appearances in 2020. Something tells you you'll be back on this program in That's 2021. Right. I can't even blame a lack of activity. Like, I don't even have that one in the back pocket here. I just got beat. And it's your fault, Mike. It's entirely your fault. 
you know, we got to put your mind to the test. It's not just about MMA. It's about, uh, you know, we look in, 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 into ourselves at times. That's what Between the Links does for the listening and viewing audience. So thank you very much uh, to everybody watching and listening right now. For Jed Mishu, Steve Morocco, our judge, Casey Lydon on the production side, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn takes you out. We'll see you back next week once again. Between the Links, good night, everybody. Love you guys. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.